Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that What's says up? subscribe. Welcome back to the Dream Mason Thank podcast. You. I am your because host, your Alex Terranova. Don't build themselves. I'm going to introduce you to our guest in a moment. Um, but the, what I want to give you to start this episode, I think we're going to get a lot of from him today. So um, our guest today has lived a, from what it looks like to me, a long experienced like life that has gone in so many different directions and trajectories, trajectories. I'm, I can't say the word right now. Um, and it's a reminder, you know, it's a reminder of when I, when I, I don't want to date him or age him, but when I talk to people that are my senior from as, as young as, as young as I can remember, whether it be my parents or my grandparents, I, I have this thought now thinking, you know, when we're, when we're young and we're in our twenties, thirties and forties, we have this, like our life has to go a certain way and we're trying to control it. And we're trying to make success happen. And we're trying to make money or get married or have babies or whatever we deem important to us. And when I think about the conversations I had with my parents when I was young or my grandparents, I'm reflecting back on how so many amazing things that happened to them could never have been planned. They could have never got where they were going if they had tried to control it all. They had to allow, they had to say yes to opportunities. Um, and that when, you, when you're when you gone along the road at a certain point, you look back and it's, it's windy and it's up and down and, and it's pretty amazing. And I think for people that are listening that are in, you know, in, in this space of creating, being an entrepreneur, running a business, trying to grow something, trying to find that partner, to remember that time matters. You can't control it all. You can't do it all in two seconds. That when you look back, you're going to have done things you never imagined you did. And you're going to look back and realize all the things you did also got you to places that you're so happy you are that you didn't realize they would get you. Our guest today um, has done all sorts of things. You you may have heard him as a media personality on ESPN New York Radio. He's been the co-host of Yes Network's um, on the Yes Network's Yankees Steiner Memories of the Game series. He's been a frequent on places like CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, ESPN. He's been in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. He's been on the MLB TV network and also the MLB Fan Cave. He started and founded uh, a company called Steiner Sports. He also has recently founded a company called the Collectible Exchange. He was in the hospitality business back in the day and worked with the, the second Hard Rock Cafe, which was in and opened it in New York City. Um, and I think maybe the coolest, but random most, maybe most random is he's actually the inventor or creator of the Everything Bagel, which I can say I'm pretty grateful for. Uh, there's probably nothing I enjoy more than starting a day with an everything bagel. Um, welcome to the Dream Mason podcast, Brandon Steiner. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, it's funny when I listen to your introduction, uh, you know, the thing that comes to mind when I when I look back at my career and I still feel like I haven't got started. 
I know that sounds crazy, but I, I've, I always try to keep that mindset. And I also feel like I feel as good today as I did when I was 20. You know, same high level of energy. You know, obviously eating right and resting and certain things are very critical now to keep this engine going. Yeah. But, you know, life is tricky, man. And, uh, you know, the, the, the more control you think you have, the, the, the really probably the wrong track is what you're on. And what I realize is that the only two things you really can control and the only two things that really actually matter are one, uh, your ability to want to get better. Um, you know, we're the only species on the planet that can improve. And that's what we're made for. And that's what we're built for. And, and to improve your skills, as simple as it sounds, and to, and to do better quality work, no matter how good your work you think it is, you always have room to improve. That's why we're here. And that's why we were built for. And the other thing, the only reason we're here is to help others get better, improve, and survive. So, you know, when you're trying to control any, pretty much anything else, you're, you're really just wasting a lot of time. Even though I've wasted a lot of time, you know, because, you know, we all, there's so many people that have all these controlled tendencies, but, you know, giving up control is when you first can really fall in love with what you're doing because, you know, you put it in God's hands or in a, in a higher power. And I think that it is really important to have faith to know that when you do good work, when you help others, when you do good, it'll lead you to doing well. And when you are constantly working on your craft to be better that good things will come, that the right thing should happen. If not you, then who? So um, that's something my mother taught me at an early age. You know, if not you, then who? Mm -hmm. And I know you hear it all the time, and I'm sure you've had a lot of guests say that, you know, you could do anything you set your mind to, and it really isn't true. It's not true. You know, you can't really do anything you set your mind to. But what you can do is you can get better every day you can become a better doctor a better writer a better business person a better husband you can improve <laughs> that you can do so if you're focused on a result you're sprinting in the wrong direction enthusiastically if you're focused on process which i call pop progress on process you must always have pop every day and pop mm. is doing anything and everything you can to improve your process. It's that you can control and that you can push yourself. If you're going to determine how successful you are by the size of your house and how much money you have or, you know, all these other things, then you're probably always going to be a little empty feeling. Even though it's nice to have nice cars and nice things, I don't, I don't begrudge people that want those things, but you really can't gauge your success other than from how far you come from where you started and your ability to really increase your process. And I can tell you so many stories about that, which hopefully we'll get into, but it really is everything. It's all about getting better. And you hear college coaches and you hear coaches saying that all the time in sports. Unfortunately, I wish more people would think about it in their own lives because that pop is a lot what leads you to happiness. I mean, people come, I'm not happy. What is that? What is happy? Happy is when you're challenged, you're feeling like you're making progress, whether it be with your family, your, 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 your wife or husband or your business. That's when you feel happy. When you feel challenged, you feel like you're growing, you feel like you're going somewhere. That to me brings happiness, you know, in all aspects. So, you know, think about like, how are you going to go about this next year to grow? If you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rotten. And if you're resting, you're rusting. 
you rest, you rust. So you got to stay green. You, know, you got to stay in a mindset that puts you in a position where you want to grow, whether it's reading books, taking some courses, it doesn't matter your age. I love I know I was on a little rant there. Sorry. No, about you're, that. you're great. I love you came. It's like, you know, we bring, you bring a New Yorker on the show and you're going to come right out of the gate and you're going to tell us the truth and you're going to tell us your thoughts and you're going to tell us that, you know, we, we can't do anything that we set our mind to. I love that. Um, <laughs> and there was some great, I, I, because I really, you know why, you know why it is because, you know, people get in that mindset and then they get disappointed and disappointment sure. is the kryptonite. You know, when you start, you know, when you get into a lot of expectation stuff, which again is focused on result versus focused on process, which I know a lot of people talk about the importance of process, but it just should be, it processes everything. Practice mm-hmm. is everything. Result is just, it's just the result. Yeah. It doesn't really mean all that much, frankly. What means stuff is when you can improve the way you're going about your business. So, yeah, it's everything when I think about, like, um, well, let me, I want to, I really want to touch on with you because you, there's something really unique that you do. And, and I'm assuming, cause I don't know, I don't know you well enough to know this yet, but you, d- your main business is collectibles, right? And this is what you've been in for a long time, sports collectibles. And so as a, you know, I'm, I'm about to be 39 years old. I vividly remember being a child and being obsessed with my baseball cards, my basketball cards, getting autographs, getting my parents to buy me these things. You know, as soon as I could get on my bike or my rollerblades and go down to the little shop, the little two baseball card shops that were by my neighborhood, it was like what we did whenever we could. Um, all my friends, you know, this was like the currency of our childhood. And then video games came up and it still was the currency, but like it, there were more distractions but I vividly remember how passionate I was as a child about collectibles. And I'm sitting here with you now, you're a grown man and you've made a business out of this. And it's like, I'm, I need to know about how you, I'm guessing it was a passion that you evolved into a business or was it actually just like, this is a business idea and I'm not passionate about it, but I'm going to, I want to make money and I see an opportunity. Well, it's going to be a disappointing answer, but you know, <laughs> I'm not attached to the collector. I was a saver and a lot of baby boomers are by Mm -hmm. definition, just the way we grew up and the way our parents raised us was to be extremely nimble and not throw things out and, and, and you know, and and be grateful for everything you have because their parents had nothing, you know? So, you know, for me, I was a a crazy sports fan. Yeah. But I was a crazy, more crazy when you talk about purpose and passion about entrepreneurism. I was just, Loved entrepreneurism. I love the white space. I love figuring out, you know, certain things. I just saw most businesses and most things differently than most people thought. I always looked at one thing and everybody else saw something else. So believe it or not, you know, when I get into the collectible business, I had been in, I'd opened up Steiner already for about seven years. And I, I, you know, I, I hooked up guys to do autograph stuff, this and that. But the reality of it is, is that I was taking the train to work every day. And it was probably the most, the worst thing I ever did. You know, I was in Westchester and get on these trains and you crowded in like a sardine. And my mom had just passed away. My mom's favorite line was, you got to have balls and uh, be fearless, be be resilient, be, you know, don't, your first idea is not your best idea. So don't stop just because you had some success. So I'm on the train and I'm like, I got to get off this freaking train, man. I I can't take this train anymore. 
mainly because it was a schedule. So I'm not a big schedule guy. And, and it was crowded and, and, you know, people would be eating, talking on the phone. It was just not a good place for me. So I got, you know, I was doing a lot of marketing. I marketed, marketed players and I was doing a lot of marketing of players. And uh, I wasn't quite making enough money to have the boss to go home and tell my wife that I want to buy a car. So I looked down, I'm in this mindset, like, how am I going to get off this goddamn train? And I'm just deeply thinking. And I looked down at this guy's paper. It's a picture of Mark Messier. And in 1994, June 17th, the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. It was a really big moment in New York sports history because 54 years they hadn't won a cup. And I look at this thing, I go, I bet you I could find 17,000 people to buy this back page if I get Mark Messier to sign it. Just an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't in the collectible business or anything. But I was like, I, you know, that's how many people fit into Madison Square Garden, 17,000. So I say, you know, of course, let's do it. So sure enough, takes me about two months. I tracked Mark down. Lawyer, brother, sister, you know, everything I could do. But he was a big name. I was a sixth Stanley Cup he had won. And I talked him into doing a deal. And he signs all these, you know, he signs all these uh, back pages. And we print the photo of him holding the cup. And boom. I start Steiner Sports Collectibles. And the purpose and the passion about starting that particular part of my business was a complete money grab. All I want to do is make enough money so I could buy a car so I don't have to take the train in anymore. And I was trying to think of every which way that I could make a whole bunch of money and end up doing a deal with Mark Messier and signing those photos. So sometimes success does start with a money grab. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just now from there, my mind went crazy, the creative juices. And I started thinking about putting collections around players and I completely organized the business and turned into an industry that was a hobby. But a concept called Remember the Moment, which was the same idea three years later when I started making some money on the collectibles. I was reading my kid a story to bed. His name was Crosby. And my kids know that I'm not a big reader, so I make up stories. So I start making up stories, whatever, and I'm reading him a story. And I said, Crosby, I want to tell you the story about that picture of Mark Messi holding the Stanley Cup. So I start telling him the story. And literally 10, 15 seconds in, he's dead asleep. And I'm like, it's unbelievable. It's like my favorite photo. And this kid's dead asleep. I actually sit on his bed and continue the story. And I say to myself, you know, if I have a moment like this that means that much to me, every sports fan has a moment. And that's when I came up with the Remember the Moment campaign for Steiner, which changed everything. And instead of having guys just sign stuff, I would have them sign magical moments. Now, memorabilia, memory, memorabilia is memories. So it was about finding all these great moments. Now, I had a huge magazine collection. I run into my office the next day and go into the small little warehouse I had and start ripping through magazines. Remember, there's no internet at this point. I'm ripping through magazines. I'm trying to find every great moment. Kirk Gibson's home run, Bobby Orr flying through the air, Branka Thompson, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea whose photos these are. All I know is I'm finding the photo. I'm trying to call the athlete up and see if he would sign it and write something about the moment. And that was the real beginning of turning this hobby into an industry, which started with a money grab. But the passion and the challenge of it all was, how do I departmentalize this in a way where it makes sense for people and it's meaningful? You know, moments that matter, memorabilia, memories that matter. So I focused not so much on the memorabilia that would be worth a lot one day, which I never really understood that. The stuff I was creating 
25 years ago would be all worth a lot more money, which I'm grateful that a lot of it has. But I was just thinking that it would bring joy to people to have these great memories, like you'd have your wedding picture, picture of your kids on the wall. Now you've got these great memories on the wall. And it worked out for me. Remember the moment was the campaign that, I mean, I've had a few campaigns that I came up with that have been really, really good. One of them is you got to have balls. Remember the moment is a moment that really was the beginning of Steiner and really the beginning of the collectible business, turning it from a hobby into an industry and into a real business. I love the that concept of like, you were like, if I love this, then other people might also, right? We think when people are like, if you want to get into the stock market for the first time, it's like, well, what companies do you use? What companies are you, you know, if you're a beginner, it's a great way to go about it. Yeah. And, um, and the moral of the story is read your kids a story when they go to bed. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't ignore your kids. Um, well, I just want to mention one thing, by the way, yeah, the go whole ahead. premise of my, at least the little success that I've had only comes down to one thing. So if you're out there and you're listening, and this has a lot to do with me on the train that day, is it doesn't really matter where you're at. It doesn't. What matters is what you're willing to accept. That's all that matters. Like until you get to a high level of non-acceptance, not much is going to happen. You can, you'll end up living with a partner that you're, you know, you're not really that happy with, but you end up hanging in there. But until you get to a high level of non-acceptance with your business, with anything. So my high level of non-acceptance started with me not want to go to that train anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I want to get off the damn train. And most of my life, I've been able to maintain a high level of non-acceptance. And the problem is, is that with a lot of people, when they do better than they ever thought they could do, or when they're doing okay, they don't realize you have to keep turning up the volume to your non-acceptance because that's what drives you. When your back's against the wall and you're pressured and you're pressed, right? I'm stressed. That's when good shit happens is when you have nowhere else to go, you have nowhere else to hide. That's when the best things that happen. And when we come out of this virus, as crazy as it is, and it's been, I know, really, really hard on a lot of people, we really will come out of this thing probably miraculously better than we ever were. Sure. Because that's what happens when you back against the wall. You get increased level of gratitude. You start utilizing all the assets you have available. You start recognizing, because you can't go forward unless you're grateful for what happened in the past. And I think we've all now sat home enough to realize how grateful we are just to go to the damn movies or just to go to a restaurant or go to a supermarket. And the guy is, you know, putting stuff on the shelf. Like, so think about the level of gratitude that we've all really now uh, have increased. But remember that only good things happen when you turn up your volume on your unacceptable unacceptance. And that's in all your relationships. And it's really important to have a high level of not acceptance and my mother always says, don't take any shit from anybody. It's just another way of saying it. But, you know, especially from yourself, you know, so it's like turn the volume up of your non-acceptance and you'd be surprised how you as a human being are made to go figure it out. Yeah, that's great. I'm sitting here and I'm uh, to be really honest. I'm going, I'm going, shit, I'm too comfortable right now. You know, I, I started my business three, not six years ago. And the first two years back against the wall, right? I was living in New York City. I was making no money. My ex-fiance was pissed off that that I wasn't making money and I'd quit my job. And uh, and I turned it into something great. And now it's comfortable. It's it's good. You know, it comes in. I, I don't have my back against the wall. And I'm sitting here and you're saying that. And I'm like, 
fuck, I got to turn, I got to turn up the volume so I can get, cause I want to take it to that next level. Um, if there's anything you learned from the last dance, who is a master of this is Michael Jordan playing yeah, the game yeah. within the game. You have to actually, um, sometimes actually, and this is why I'm an incredible daydreamer. So you have to play this game and remember all the people that pissed you off, that said you couldn't do it, the question how good you were, how smart you were, whatever it was. And if you read, if you watch The Last Dance, he constantly Fantastic. talks about these other players yeah. that people were saying that they were better than him. He had something to prove. It's such a joke. But yeah, in his all, mind, uh, he played that out and it drove him. So yeah. you got to find out what drives you. And it really, believe me, it's hard. It's hard. You have to, the motivation is an inside job. Yeah. Yes, we like having other people read, you know, read a book on motivation or you're watching YouTube motivation and it helps. But the, the motivation, the best is, is an inside job. And you have to play the game within the game. Like, nobody thinks I can get a much bigger house. You know, nobody thinks I can restart this other company, especially when my wife comes in and tells me all the things I can't do. But I was like, that's never going to happen. You can't do it. I said, like, really? And if you think about all the naysayers, you got to make a list of them, keep them right on your closet door, just to remind you every morning to piss you off, you know, to get, and that's, it's really important because whatever it takes to get non-acceptance going, yeah. Or get naysayers up going in your mind. You don't want to live and die with it all, but you want to use that as a little bit of a spark. I just pictured when you were saying that, I just had this vivid image of Rocky out in the snow, right? When they when he has to train for Ivan, Ivan Draco uh, and Rocky Four, right? They can't train the way they've always trained because that's not going to get him. They got to take Rocky out to a place where he's super uncomfortable and train in a whole different way to get him stronger and make him more of a badass so he can fight this, this enemy that is bigger than anything he's ever fought. And I remember yeah. even right, he has the image. He's got his face on his mirror. Remember, um, like, you know, being extraordinary and really being really, really good at what you do is not convenient. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass, you know, to, to, get, to get the extraordinary, you know, level of being the best doctor or being the best writing the best comedy it ain't easy it's not convenient it's a pain in the ass it's dark i mean there are moments it's almost embarrassing like to the level that i will go to get to an answer you know to get to a place but you know that's that's what i choose that's what i choose to lose my life and that's the difference fundamentally between a lot of us it's not because i'm any smarter than you better than you for not for sure it's just I'm willing to go to a much deeper, darker place to get there, and you you got comfortable. Yeah, man. There's we could go. We could keep going in this direction, <laughs> and I and and but like there's so much to your life. I want to know. You know, you you mentioned you have kids. You mentioned are you are you married still? Of course, thirty three okay. years. I'm nice. not sure what that says about her, but well, I'm a sweetheart, and yeah, I love her to death. So I'm very grateful. I want to ask you about those things because you've done a lot and you've managed to be married for 33 years this whole time. And I know in, in a lot of the very successful people that come into my practice and work with me, um, it's often that things are out of balance, right? They're killing it in their businesses and their marriages or their relationships are not so great or, or vice versa. Um, they're comfortable and have these great relationships and their businesses are not taking off. What do you, in this 33 years, what have you learned about marriage, about yourself, um, have you had to adapt and grow with that? Well, first of all, you know, marriage is probably one of the toughest, if not the second toughest, because raising children is probably the toughest thing you're going to do. So mm -hmm. the more you get ready for that before you get into it, like you have to prepare yourself 
in the mindset that marriage is going to be a bitch. <laughs> Raising children is going to be a son of a gun. And this way, when you run into it, you, you know, to expect that. Like, uh, you know, I grew up with a really, really intense, difficult mom. So, you know, I knew that it wasn't going to be easy street when, you know, you, you know, I married my wife. It's not going to be like, especially, um, you know, when you marry an intelligent woman, that's, you know, certainly very independent like I did. But I think, you know, what I've learned is that, first of all, I'm one of those guys, like I was great at business. I sucked at life. You know, I mean, it's just the way you put it. And the reason is that if you read my third book, Living on Purpose, which I think is probably my best work, which really outlines what I did on my 50th, starting around 50, to really figure all this stuff out so I can live a more full, complete life and still be really great at business too, which is really what everybody is looking for. It's like, how do I find this? First of all, there is no such thing as work-life balance. That's bullshit. But you have to respect life. You have to respect the people that are important to you. Uh, and if you don't, then you're going to lose them and you're going to be one of those guys who has a ton of money and an empty closet where your wife used to be. And I think, you know, for me, for me, it's been, you know, you got to be able to make the adjustments. And, and um, I say, you know, you got to wake up every day. You got to know who's important, what's important. You got to do what's important for who's important every day. And if you can't do that, then you're going to, you're going to end up being a bachelor. You're going to live by yourself. Mm. But there's a lot to there's a lot to raising children and there's a lot to staying married and if you're not going to put the time and effort into it then you probably shouldn't do it because it probably is not going to work and it's always going to be much bigger than you so especially when you're successful and you've got a brand you know i've, I've had a big brand and, and obviously I've got a lot of athletes and all these different things you know my wife i come home i'm i'm a, I'm a third class citizen <laughs> and you got to realize that, like, those other components of your life are a lot more important than your life. You can't just because you just because you're really important when you go to work every day doesn't mean you're any more important when you get home. So and here's the problem. You spend most of your time when you're a kid, you're working your ass off to get into the good college. Ninety percent of your time references, you're playing all these schools, you're trying to get these grades and then you get in. And then when you get out of school. You go if you have to be really great, make a lot of money. You would read anything, go to any conference, do anything to get that promotion, and you end up spending ninety percent of your time trying to be this unbelievable business person, account person, build your business. And at some point, you wake up and you're ninety percent. You have four columns: your health, your happiness, your family, your friends. I mean, you look at those buckets, and you're a ninety ten. So how in God's name? Are you expecting to have a better result because your process is 90% on business and 10% on your family, your friends, your health, your faith? How could it be? Just do the math. And then you wonder why you wake up one day and you're financially, you know, set for life. And you're basically, as a, as a person, you're bankrupt. And that's what happened. I, that's what I felt happen. I, I probably over-dramatized it, but I felt bankrupt. Mm. in my early 50s, about 10 years ago. And I, I went on a massive crusade to figure out how to get to a higher level of health, to a higher level of faith. And I put the work in. You know, I went, mm. I went and saw people. I went and met people. I went to other outside business conference types of situations so I could learn from some of the best about sleep, about nutrition, how to be a better husband. So you ask a really magical question, which we could probably spend an hour on just on raising kids and staying married. But what I would say is the most important thing in the marriage process is 
One, don't go to sleep mad. Stay up and keep arguing. Two, communication. Schedule communication. Don't assume communication. Because when people don't have knowledge, when you don't know what your spouse is thinking or going through, that's when people get nervous and that's when people get feeling empty. So scheduling a time to make sure you elaborate the things that are going on and what's happening. Leave your cell phone home on date night. You know, if you can't find three hours a week where you don't take your phone out and you don't take your phone with you. When I go out with my wife on the weekends for lunch and on Friday and Saturday night for dinner, I do not take my phone with me. She knows no matter how crazy I am, the ADHD, she knows for those five or six hours, she has my undivided attention to tell me, go over anything, and she has my undivided attention. And that's clear that I do because I'm not quickly giving a look down on my phone. Yeah. I'm not checking my text. I don't know who's texting anyway on a Friday night at nine o'clock at night. But you can't give the most important person in your life, which is your spouse, a few hours of undivided attention. What the hell are you doing anyway? Yeah. And make sure that you have sex. You know, you got to have sex no matter how many kids you have, how busy you are. You know, there's a therapist that told me this story. This couple comes into uh, her office and she says, well, are you guys having sex? And the woman says, no, you know, we haven't had sex in over 30 years. It's like, wow. And the man says, yeah, we just haven't had sex in 30 years. So she immediately says, well, why? Why? How could you not have had sex for 30 years? And they both simultaneously say, we've been really, really busy. And, you know, the moral of that story is that when you have young kids and you're building your business and everything, you do get really, really busy. And, and sex does become difficult to, to have time to do that. But you got to schedule it then. You got to make sure you have it because it's a very big part that intimacy that you have with your wife and your husband does sometimes take scheduling because especially with women where they're overscheduled, they're over-responsible. You know, guys are a lot easier, but, you know, the women are always worrying about more about the kids and worrying about certain things in the house. You have to give them the credibility that, to make sure that you can give them a time, whether it's every week we're getting a babysitter for these three hours or every week, you know, you're, you're putting the kids to sleep or whatever it is, you figure, you know, you're figuring it out. I, you know, I wrote a blog about, if you go to brandonsnyder.com about, I went to about four marriage therapists, including John Gray, who wrote Men from Mars, Women from Venus. Mm -hmm. And I came up with a whole list of the most important things about not only getting married, but staying married. So I'm not a marriage counselor by any stretch, sure. although I've, been, I've gone to marriage counseling. But And I, I love that list, and I probably got more responses on that blog than almost any other blog that I've written over the years. So it was a very uh, pertinent blog to people because we all need guidance and help. But the fun thing is that like, your business is broken. You get a consultant. You hire somebody. You know, you don't get the consultant so easily until there's a crisis to come and maybe tweak your marriage, tweak maybe how you're parenting. But it's critical that you do that because if you want to be a great parent, you don't want to find out 20 years after your kids are already grown up that you weren't as good a parent as you thought you were. But I, I'm also getting where we're coming back to the beginning where time actually matters, that so much of this wisdom and knowledge you have is because you went to four therapists and you've been married for 33 years, that you actually can't be in your first or second year of marriage and know how to do all these things because there's a process of life that actually has to unfold. And to your point, the only way you improve is to get tested and pushed and have your back up against the wall. So in, in those easy years or beginnings of relationships, you don't have to do all these things. It's that over time. You but you do that, but that's the point you do. Mm -hmm. But what I recommend is like, if you're just a newlywed, right? 
talk to some other people that were married that you respect. You have at least a decent vision of them and say, hey, what'd you do when you got married? I don't know about anybody out there. My first year of marriage was a bitch. I mean, sharing a checking account, where you're going, when you're coming home. I mean, like, what? So, you know, I always try, like, you know, when I first had kids, I went to a few people that I knew that I respected that had pretty good family lives, at least to my vision. And I just asked them, the three, tell me what it's like to have a couple toppers. What's the deal? Oh, Brandon, do this, do this, do this. Then five years later, what's it like to have kids in high school? Because you don't see it coming. So yeah. do I have to go learn on the job? No. I asked a few of my friends, like, Brandon, your kids are going to be drinking in high school. They're going to be having sex. They're going to be breaking into your liquor cabinet. They're going to be lying. Every five things they tell you, your kids in high school, one out of five is a lie. <laughs> now, you don't look at your kids as liars. But if you remember back when we were kids, we didn't yeah. always tell our parents the truth. Of course. You could. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you got to make sure you really got your ears open, your eyes wide open, because, you know, a lot of what your kids are telling you just ain't true. <laughs> um, so, you know, you get ahead. And that's the mentoring part. Like, mentoring yeah. is not just a business model. Mentoring can be with your family, with from your spouse. You can get a lot of mentoring in a lot of different ways. And I wish people would see it that way because growth is really important, you know, in all aspects, in all your funnels. You know, having a mentor in, with your faith, having a mentor with, you know, watching some people ahead of you in the marriage department, family department is critical. That's been my secret. I'm not that smart. I just managed to get a lot of different people, you know, ask a lot of questions and make sure I try to stay ahead of it. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I mean, you're, I read something the other day that was talking about how we think hustle, um, vision, focus, um, ideas, skills are the things that make people successful. But really what makes someone successful is awareness. Because, right, if you're doing shitty things over and over again, as hard as you can, they're still shitty. But if you actually were aware of your skills, your talents, your abilities, what you don't have, what you do have, what works, what other, then you're able to constantly adapt regardless of what's going on. And, and I'm really present talking to you that there's not only some some passions that you chase like entrepreneurship and that you have a big heart and you care, but that you're very, very aware and you're always being aware, right? You're looking at different situations of how you can be better and how you can grow and how you can evolve. If you, if you really want to be a great manager, parent, you got to be able to step outside yourself and see yourself, mm -hmm. which is not easy for a lot of people. Yeah. I was just thinking about this morning. I was thinking back to a couple of years of some managing back in my old company. And I was like, no, Brandon, you suck. <laughs> you just sucked. You were just not a good manager. You were just not really focused in on really understanding where a bunch of people were coming from that were working for you. And it's no matter why you missed on a bunch of things back then, because you weren't paying attention and you really weren't had the empathy and had really the interest in your staff that would motivate them, inspire them to be interested in you and what you were trying to do with the company. Because I was trying to think, like, why didn't my people work harder for me then? Uh, and you, especially when you're managing, like, you got to know yourself. You have to be aware of yourself. You never can manage other people if you can't manage yourself. And it's really important to step outside yourself and see yourself for who you really are. And, you know, my mom always taught me that, too, is like, listen, you're my children. I love you. But also, you're also human beings. And when people come and complain about you because you did something wrong, most parents like not my kid. They get very defensive, and you know my my mom was always like was able to step back and go look. I, 
you're, you're probably capable of doing that. I can see you doing that. And that <laughs> would be as big a deal, obviously, you know, try to get the learning lesson there. But I think most people have trouble stepping outside their situation and seeing the situation for what it really is. But if you want to grow, self-analysis is, you know, you can go to all the therapists you want, but it, it's an inside job. You know, you got to do a lot of self-analysis. Like you just did in the middle of the, the conversation, you just said, you know, damn, I got flat. I got kind of stagnant. Exactly. Yeah. Most people can't even say that about themselves. You, I'm, I'm, I know you have three books, but I'm thinking your fourth book, if you're, if you're planning on one, has got to be like something about all the shit your mom has taught you because it seems like she should have, your mom could have a book of quotes. Oh, there's no question. <laughs> my mother was, the lessons my mother taught me, they were, and they were never easy lessons, and they sure. weren't quotes. I come home one day from speech class because I, first of all, you know how hard it was to lose the Brooklyn accent and to talk like this. And my mother would kill me about this. So she sends me to a speech pathologist. I was like in fourth grade and I don't want to go. And I had trouble pronouncing certain letters. So I come home one day and I announce I'm not going to speech uh, anymore. I'm not going to the speech lady anymore. My mother says, okay, no problem. The next day, my mother only picked me up from school once that I can remember in my entire childhood. She picks me up, we drive about two miles, we park behind the sanitation truck. We get out of the car and says, Brandon, I want to introduce you to Joe. Joe's been driving this truck for 20 years. Joe, this is my son. My son is interested in becoming a sanitation worker with his career. Can you explain to him the benefits, how your workday goes, what it's like? Maybe he can actually get on the truck one day and collect some garbage with you. Melissa says, listen, you're going to speak the way you speak. And you're not going to work on how you can communicate. This is probably a career that's fitting for you. So I went home. I said, I'll go back to the speech lady. <laughs> yeah, you know, so like these, this is what I'm dealing with with my mother. She was a, that's amazing. a character. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, this, it, it is, I mean, this whole, this whole conversation we're having, you've layered your mom through the whole thing, which is beautiful. And, um, I'm just like, man, this is a, it's, it's like a book of wisdom that you got from your mom. Yeah, um, no doubt. Thank you. What do you, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, as we kind of get to the end here, you know, if, if you just, you, you know, you've pretty much been able to share anything you've wanted, but like, if there was something that you want to share with people that maybe you haven't talked about or haven't shared or haven't been asked, is there anything that you, that you can think of or comes to mind? Well, I, I think, you know, life is a million things, but every, everything matters. There is no such thing as a big year, a big game, a big day. You got everything matters and everything does come around. You may think you got away with something or you may, you know, I was just you know, starting my new business. Like some of the people that are really pissed off, boy, all of a sudden they pop up in your new business. You're like, oh God. So, you know, to be kind and, and really pick your battles. Like, I think even, and not to get into politics, but when I really think about the Trump situation, and not to, not to even question whether I'm pro, against, whatever, but very few presidents that have the economy going the way we have have not been able, have, most of them won a second term. But when you think about Trump's demise over thousands of autographs, I mean, thousands of uh, votes, it's little battles that he picked for no reason and it yeah. came back around and haunted him. Otherwise, he's probably he's probably getting an eight-year term if he's not picking on the newscaster in the front row, arguing with somebody in a tweet for no reason. So I would say in this in this in this conversation is pick your battles, man. 
make sure that they're real. Make sure the things that you really want to be angry about or you want to be disruptive about matter. And, 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 you know, the small change and some of the things, usually a day after you're feeling this thing probably disappears. You know, be careful about that sort of thing because it comes around when you least expect it. And to me, I think the real power is you do have the power to will things to be. And by doing that, if you do believe that, put out as much good as you can. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be disruptive and have some arguments every now and then, but make sure that's the important shit. Yeah. You know, don't get petty. And uh, I think that's one of the things I've learned even in business. Like, you know, try to avoid the confrontations or arguments because most of the time, both of you are wrong or who <laughs> even knows. You never get, I mean, really save the, you know, the, the fighting and the energy for the important stuff because life's short. And uh, there's a lot of more good out there than you think. And when you start filling yourself up with some of the negative and some of the other problems, it just takes away from your growth of doing the positive stuff. So I'm excited. You know, I've, I'm 61 and most people told me to retire. I, I haven't worked a day since God knows how long. And I'm independently set up for the rest of my life and I have been for a while. And you shouldn't be working for money anyway. And nor have I for quite some time. And um, I'm grateful, you know, to, uh, people, oh, you're 61. You can't, I'm like, I think I'm starting a much better, bigger company than I've ever had. That's awesome. But smarter. Yeah managing people, manage myself better. And uh, that's the next book is like, no, dreaming is not for young kids. Dreaming is for everyone. Following your dreams is for everyone. It doesn't, shouldn't discriminate against anyone. And, uh, and don't let anybody get in your way. So that's my thing. Like, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited uh, to have this opportunity that I can come up with an idea and, and put it into play. And I want to keep working away at my process, you know, my pop. Oh man, that was great. Thank you for that. I love that, that, um, I mean, we hear pick your battles all the time, but do we get present to what that means and how those, all those little things impact? I mean, think us? about what, think about a guy who did not pick his battles yeah. and whether yeah. you're a Trump fan or not, not yeah. getting into that because yeah. God knows, but think about it. The bottom line, whether we like him or don't like about him, everything all the time, he picked all these stupid battles and that's yeah. what came back and cost him being the president for four years. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. Whether we, we want him to be the president or not. I and mean, you think about how many times you fought a battle and five, six years later, you're like, oh man, why did I go down that road? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great, it's, I, I love you. So you started that with everything matters. And I'm a big, my, my coach has been, since I started working with him over three years ago, has been a big proponent of integrity. And I hear everything matters is integrity. It's not what matters to you doesn't have to matter to me but everything about me and my life and my choices matter and they all have ripples. And I hear, that's kind of how I hear it is. It's not like if I do good things, good things come back. It's more like if I do good things, there's more good things in the world. And then I'm more likely to encounter good things because I spread out good things everywhere. And if other people do that too, um, Brandon, this was a, a, a great conversation. I'll close on one, I'll close on one quote. Sure. Helping people, helping people is not a burden. It's an opportunity that will lead you to sheer joy. Yeah. You want to fill yourself, forget yourself. Helping people will, is helping people and doing nice things for people, expecting nothing back will give you some of the greatest, greatest and happiest feelings you're going to have. 
it's uh, uh, that's my uh, while we were talking my I have a dog that's about to be one and she was getting feisty on like next to me and normally she just was sleeping and now she's sitting on my lap and um I've had the most 2020 was the happiest year of my life and the most loving because of her it was the first year that I, I don't have any kids. It was the first year that somebody else whole, wholly depended on me, right? So everything that I do for her is simply because it's not that I have to. I don't have to pick up her poop. I don't have to feed her. I get to because I also get to love her and I get to give. And I think that's a, a microcosm of what you're saying, right? When it's with humans, it's even bigger. Um, but a little like that, my biggest lesson in 2020 was how how big of a space I had for love. And that she taught me this, that it isn't a burden to help people or to do kind things or to do things. It's an, it really is an opportunity. Um, Brandon, I want people to know where to, where they can find you. Sorry, I got something in my throat, but um, collectibleexchange.com. You can get one of my three books for free on collectible exchange, by the way. Um, okay. So just go to collectible exchange and you can pick one of the three books. I'm a big LinkedIn guy. You got to follow me because I'm past the limit. I don't know why they have that. And then yeah. if you want anything, you know, all my speeches and, and my talks and, and profits from my book go to charities. So nice. I've been able to raise a lot of money. If you want any interest in any of that stuff, you can go to brandonsteiner.com and you see all that info. And people can follow you on like Twitter at Brandon Steiner, yeah. Instagram at Brandon Steiner. Um, Brandon, I'm so grateful. Thanks for this Thank conversation. You. Thanks for this conversation. Um, thanks Thank for you. the stories, the wisdom. I'm, I'm actually really grateful too, that you had a mom that you did because that was, this has probably been one of the more enjoyable, like funny, but all like this, the combination <laughs> of depth and depth that we got into, but also humor and like lightness and levity was fantastic. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for connecting with us. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you and everyone Stay listening. Safe, everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening. Uh, please, you know, I hope you take something away from this episode for yourself. And if there's something for you, great. If there's not something for you, you know, share this episode with something that you know needs to hear it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream. And I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at Inspirational Alex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.